The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversations of the tech world and beyond. I have been really, really excited to host this conversation ever since Aaron Levy agreed to participate. He's the CEO of Box, helped kick off the show when we started back in 2020. We're now in 2022. The show still exists. That's a small miracle. Thanks, for everyone, for being here. Thanks, Aaron, for helping us kick the dang thing off. And... Um, and now we have a really important discussion because uh, the hottest topic in tech recently has been Web3 and crypto. Passions are inflamed. Um, a lot of the discussion is happening on Twitter. Uh, I think that you've done a really great job bringing nuance to the discussion there. And uh, you know, here at the podcast, our idea is to unpack some of the most important, difficult topics in the tech world and add a layer of nuance and complexity. Um, that doesn't exist often in 280 characters. So maybe we can keep pushing your mission forward. That's a long way of saying welcome to the show. Welcome, Aaron. Great to have you. Thank you. It's uh, There's not a lot of nuance in this particular uh, debate, so uh, I don't know that we'll make uh, that much more, prog- <laughs> more progress in this call, but we'll, uh, I'll do my best. Okay, sounds good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press you. I, I've okay. been listening to the podcast, man. I've been drinking from the fire hose, and so um, hopefully I'll do my best to uh, – advocate for the the web three uh community's beliefs even though i don't necessarily hold their views myself actually I, I i i feel like i can advocate for their beliefs as well um okay. so i i'll make the pro case um Great. Uh, I, uh, why don't we I start there yeah. okay so the the pro case um and by the is, way can we, yeah. we also i think just for for table setting you know as why don't we, as you start to get into the pro case, just define what Web3 is, because yeah. it is, it does seem like jargon that's replaced crypto, but for some reason that there's this, you know, belief in it that it's the next evolution of technology. So why don't you define yeah. it and then go into the bull case? Sure, sure. Well, let me, let me first caveat um, that, uh, that, that I, you know, I should not be responsible for, for, I I'm, probably won't, you know, do it full justice and everybody will find some flaw with any way you try and define <laughs> Define something that 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 is is this new and nebulous. But um, my interpretation of the definition and the philosophy is that um, uh, because of a new set of technologies we have in the form of blockchain uh, technologies, um, we are able to build a, a trustless, decentralized uh, internet that lets us um, uh, be able to have uh, shared uh, data and and logic and rules. And contracts uh, in kind of quotes, um, uh, and with the ability to add money into that, so you can effectively transact with with people and things uh, in this sort of trustless, decentralized way. And um, and it's uh, it's actually an incredibly, I think, fascinating uh, vision, um, and uh, and one that is a, an exciting philosophy about how the future could work. Um, but, uh, uh, I, th- I, I believe that there are possible, um, sort of, ch- you know, uh, pretty extreme challenges on a technical level, uh, to being able to achieve many of the desired outcomes, or at least the outcomes that people have sort of projected onto this vision of the future, 
um, that, um, uh, that, that I just think we should be talking about so we can actually understand what we're building and, uh, and how it might turn out. So the vision, I think, is incredibly exciting. It's a, it's a very exciting philosophy of, you know, you don't need corporations anymore to power the Internet. Um, it's an Internet that we all collectively own. And, um, and, and it, you know, I think it would be hard to say, why would you not want to be a part of that, that philosophy? So the philosophy, I think, is very strong. I think the, uh, the challenge is that it'll get met with, uh, I, you know, a number of, of complexities uh, that, um, that I've, you know, just been trying to throw out into the wild, um, mostly just met with, uh, with more, more and more uh, kind of arguments online. So, uh, but that's, right. that's the conversation right now. Yeah. And I, I think like one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because I think that some of the challenges that you've brought up to this are, are like fairly legitimate. And, you know, they sort of explain why we haven't seen many, any Web3 applications so far. Um, and so I do want to get into them. Um, for for the start of this conversation, you know, I think that it would be great to just kind of talk about some of the applications. So the first application that we have in this Web3 world is is money, right? And that's come in the form of Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, actually it's it's actually really important that we start with money um, because um, because I, I, I sort of posit that actually money is the use case of crypto mm-hmm. and that that actually the, the challenge is trying to extend it past money. Um, is where we start to run into these really hard insurmountable problems. And the reason why money is the sort of um, kind of in, in, you know, kind of product management Silicon Valley terms, the product market fit of crypto is because it, it, sh- it shares a, a bunch of really uh, useful characteristics. Uh, money is a sort of a, a global concept that everybody can understand. Um, I want to give you one unit of value uh, for, for something. And so we can exchange it incredibly easily. Uh, it's helpful that it's sort of censorship resistant, so nobody can turn it off, no government can take it away, no, no, uh, nobody can kind of pull it away from you. Um, it needs to be, um, uh, you know, you need to have an architecture that again nobody can corrupt um, and uh, and possibly disrupt. So, so you have to be decentralized in the technology fabric, and um, and it's really, really low payload. Like the the actual amount of data to to transfer money back and forth is incredibly small. So it means that you don't really congest this um, uh, decentralized network very, very easily because money is it's a small amount of data that has a high amount of value uh, to us as we move it around. What, what I'm kind of running into as a challenge is that when you try and extend that use case from money to other things, um, possibly a, a tweet or um, uh, or other kind of application data where we're now talking about data portability being built on a blockchain, uh, I think you start to run into a new set of issues, which is the data itself actually doesn't have a lot of value um, uh, in and of itself. Um, the data is valuable because it's a part of an application. And that application needs the ability to kind of iterate quickly and innovate quickly to be able to serve its customers. But by being uh, as a virtue of being on the blockchain is actually going to possibly get less innovation um, because of the fact that you are dependent on uh, other developers that are going to be building on that exact same sort of data model and architecture that might have different opinions about what should go into um, in, into that particular use case or product. And so the, the challenge is, um, is you've got this issue where there's a developer ecosystem that is a dependency for building software in a shared and collective way. And then you have consumers that you have to get to adopt these applications at the same time. And, that, and it becomes this very difficult struggle to juggle both of those ecosystems simultaneously which is, again, why money is really easy, because everybody has the, the same definition of money. 
Um, but not everybody has the same definition of building a social network or building a video platform or um, uh, building a new communication tool. And so that that becomes the issue, I think, in this more decentralized Internet. Yeah. And, and the money makes sense on the blockchain, especially with Bitcoin, right? Because uh, it becomes scarce. There is proof of work that you need in order to that's the mining part of it that you need in order to be able to uh, extract it. And that helps power the whole network. It actually is. It is a very good use case. Well, I think what you're getting into the second part, talking about applications, is when people try to use some of those similar dynamics to run applications. And the idea of like doing software on the blockchain um, is is actually it's kind of interesting. And the main the proponents, I'll, I'll take a, a shot at, at doing the steel man here. The proponents sure. of it say that um, right now in in web. Web one was putting stuff on the internet, basically like, you know, brochures, websites yeah. were just information. Web two was read, write. So you have like Facebook where you can, you know, have conversations and post yeah. and communicate there. The problem with web two, according to the web three evangelists, and I think a lot of other people is that it's centralized power in a lot of different, uh, in a handful of corporations, mm-hmm. um, and so Web3, the, the reason why people want to have Web3 happen, Web3 is the internet on blockchain, the crypto internet, is because in theory, it could distribute some of the gains that are currently centralized within company, within these big companies, companies like Facebook and Google and Amazon and Apple uh, and, and maybe Microsoft and others uh, into that it can distribute the gains and by um, participating in networks, you become an owner of the network, and there and therefore, um, you know, you're more likely to participate in the network. It creates yeah. a better internet. Is that a fair way of describing what Web three is? Uh, that that is one component of Web three. So that that's mm-hmm. the incentive. Uh, that is the a, a potential incentive model of Web three that that is um, being discussed. I I can't you know claim that that all Web three projects share that characteristic. Um, but I think that there's one notion of of being able to have a, a sort of a, a piece of these products, um, and that's through sort of you know earning tokens over time or mm-hmm. uh, airdrops or buying tokens. Um, uh, but but that's I actually see that as a little bit orthogonal to the main point, which is you have to build your software on the blockchain, and so mm-hmm. uh, and and so that that that's really the, the main challenge is. This idea of owning a piece of internet property is super interesting, and we've got many mechanisms to do that um, through through equity distribution, and there's crowdfunding that you can do to, to buy shares in companies. Um, and so, so I would try and separate, and this is sort of my a little bit of my argument is is there are many ways to achieve um, more democratized access to investing in tech companies, uh, which is different from building censorship resistant uh, applications that possibly are going to run into these complicated choke points and bottlenecks um, that, that might be undesirable for the end user, ultimately, from an innovation standpoint. And this is why this is such a complicated topic, is yeah. we've sort of thrown a bunch of different models <laughs> into one soup. We've, mm. we've thrown in this idea of shared governance of software. We've thrown in this idea of ownership of, from a, a sort of a value standpoint of software. And we've thrown in this idea of composability and sort of decentralized innovation on software. And, and really, none of those things have to relate to each other, but, but they're kind of all in this giant soup. And, um, and ultimately, my only main you know, thing of, of sort of bringing up and re-raising with the industry is, is let's, just, let's just go to the architecture itself, the tech, purely look at it from a technology standpoint. 
and decide, are we going to be able to build better software in this model? Or will that software eventually run into some problems where either users will want to leave the platform because they're going to go join another network that can incentivize them better than the last network. And so you have these sort of unstable communities of users and social networks. Um, uh, or, and or uh, do you run into this problem where you have a bunch of, of uh, constantly competing protocols and software uh, that ultimately makes the end user experience really, really hard to use in this future internet. Um, and, and the way to think about it is when, when again, when I build software today uh, for, for an end user, I get to choose all the technology that goes into that software and then it shows up to you as a user. And you don't have to worry about all the choices that I made behind the scenes. But in a crypto network, you eventually have to worry about those choices because you have a wallet that might contain um, a certain set of currency for that particular network or assets that only work on a particular blockchain. And so now developers have to coordinate their activities with the, the user community. And, and all I'm, I'm sort of proposing is that it might eventually become incredibly and intolerably slow from an innovation standpoint. And that, that really becomes the contention is because we, we really haven't run into this problem yet because we've only been building things around money. And money, I, I believe, has enough incentive for that coordination. But once we go to more utilitarian things, I don't think you're going to have that same level of incentive and motivation, and we're going to run into some challenges. And um, I think case in point, it's, it's sort of important to remember that, that this, you know, crypto and blockchains are not new. We've been talking about, you know, certainly Bitcoin for 12 years, um, and we've been talking about Ethereum for five or six or seven years. And, and the reality is, um, uh, even when, when you've seen, you know, use cases three or four or five years ago where people tried to put sort of shared data in a blockchain, um, you know, five or six years ago, we talked about that idea of, 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 you know, we'll put, we'll track lettuce shipments on a blockchain, you know, through a, a global supply chain. And the reality was eventually you ran into this issue where there's, there was less of a need to have that be in a blockchain uh, architecture. And so it just eventually moved back into the regular kind of cloud um, and more web-based, uh, you know, kind of typical internet model. And so, so I, all I'm, you know, trying to throw out there is, hey, we might want to think through a couple steps ahead from a web architecture standpoint to figure out, are we actually going to get the desired outcome that we think we're going to get? Yeah, this is important stuff because, you know, we talk so much about the theory, but very rarely about the, how this stuff actually looks in practicality. You're the CEO of a web 2.0 company. So can you talk just briefly and at a really high level uh, about the sort of software? I want to go back to something you said that you make software decisions today. Um, you don't have to worry about the blockchain and what would that look like on the blockchain? And again, you have to be on the blockchain to enable some of these benefits that everybody talks about uh, when it comes to uh, Web3. And that's, you know, talking about distributing ownership to users, talking about data you know, interoperability. So just quickly talk about, you know, the, the software decisions that you make now yeah. and what it would look like if you were to build on the blockchain, blockchain at, a, at a high level. So people with just basic understanding yeah. would, would follow you. Yeah. Yeah. So generally, I mean, so this is, this is the key, key kind of thing. So, um, and this is why, again, it's really difficult because the philosophy is brilliant. Uh, I would never argue the <laughs> against the philosophy. Like mm. you'd be, I mean, you're, you, you'd be arguing against, a more open and free flowing internet. So, so I'm not against the philosophy. Um, I'm, I'm arguing that there might be incentive issues and, and difficult human consensus problems that would then prevent us from getting the innovation that we think we're going to get. And so here's, here's the, 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 the general concept. Let's say you're Instagram today 
and you're building a bunch of features for your app and you want to build a new like button and you want to build a new feed and you want to build a new way that people can comment, you know, every single couple of weeks, you introduce a new feature into your software. Well, in a, in a blockchain model, uh, you uh, would, would basically do the same thing, but you then uh, would want other developers to adopt uh, the standard that, that you've introduced or the new feature that you've introduced. The problem is, is that now you have to go call up all those other developers and say, hey, I'm about to release this new feature. Can you put it in your application so users get a shared user experience? Well, the reality is that's probably hard to do because they might have their own features that they're working on. So eventually you have this sort of choke point of the data standard, what data is going into the uh, on, on chain, how will that data be represented to users across other applications? And so what you end up is, is this very complicated slowdown when you're trying to drive innovation. And, um, and then we've, we've kind of added actually a new complexity to it because we've incentivized the protocols. So we've added a monetary incentive to potentially def defect to your own approach, um, which then reduces the sort of shareability of data. And so the, the, the only thing I sort of contend is that the reason that we get centralization over time is because users prefer to have faster innovation and, and they want to be on the network with more users. And to get decentralization, you get slower innovation. Um, and, uh, and ultimately, that just has to be sort of a choice that, that users are going to be, you know, sort of need to be aware of. Um, and, uh, and I think what, what we're imagining is we're imagining getting all of the benefits of today's web mm -hmm. and also ownership and being able to control our data. And, and there, there's a sort of incompatibility or contradiction with those two things. And it's not because you shouldn't have access to your data. You should. We should work on data portability. We should work on more open source. We should work on more APIs that let you export your data from, the, from, from web properties. But that doesn't require a complete shift in the underlying architecture of the web. Why is innovation slowed? Is it just because there's more coordination that needs to happen when people are, I mean, I, I guess like, I don't understand why you would need someone to like make all these coordination calls that you talk about. And, well, and is because that the main reason that innovation is slowed or tell me more Yeah, because, well, well, imagine we wanted just two versions of Instagram that, okay. that people could use. If one version adds a feature that the other version doesn't have, and the other version and the other version of Instagram adds a different feature that the other one doesn't have, then we we begin to have these sort of very incompatible experiences over time. And so this is why things like email protocols have not gotten a lot of innovation, and there's been very little innovation in, in email. And so we ultimately go and adopt chat applications and Slack and and messaging tools and Twitter. It's because email is this really powerful protocol, but it has to be insanely simple. So that way everybody can adopt it. And, and the, the issue is, is that it's hard to sort of figure out what applications do we want to have those same levels of lowest common denominator protocols that are shared and how will the how, how will each application begin to decide what those protocols look like? So the vision is fantastic. The challenge is there are trade-offs to consumer innovation that, that just need to be understood. And there's a great example. Um, uh, the, the app Signal, um, the founder of Signal wrote a great post about five years ago about how hard it is to have a federated communication tool and get innovation at the same time. Because you're, you have to keep two completely different ecosystems in sync. You have to keep the developer ecosystem in sync and you have to keep the user ecosystem in sync. And, and you have too many different parties, all that have different incentives to go off in, in different directions at the, at the same time. And so that, it's just a coordination problem. It's all, it's, it, mm -hmm. the issue is never technology. It's just about humans. And, and we, we don't yet have a, a well understood model of how we can pull this off is, is sort of the, the difficulty. 
Can you share a little bit about why crypto is based off of this this um, coordination model? Maybe it has something to do with these decentralized autonomous organizations, and is that necessarily part of it? Uh, well, when it comes well, the ethos the, the, the ethos of crypto is like I guess is, like why why would there be two Instagrams? Is another way of asking that question. Well, if there's not two Instagrams, then you would just have one Instagram, in which case you could just have centralization. So, so the, the, the point of, de- the point of building on a decentralized network is so you could have two or 10 or a hundred Instagrams. So, so that, that's, that's sort of the un- in- inherent problem. So, mm-hmm. so there's an inherent contradiction, which is if we're going to build this on decentralized technology, the point is then to have multiple clients. If we get mm-hmm. multiple clients, then we run the risk of slowing down innovation. And so you have this sort of, you know, this very difficult contradiction that, that exists purely because of the technical architecture that the rest of the web doesn't have to deal with. And the rest of the web, what, what happens is you can just decide, do you want to join Instagram because your friends are there? And you don't have to worry about there's going to be a compatibility problem with another version of Instagram that other people might be on. And so it, it, it creates a, a bit too much game theory. For the end user to have to think about or for the developers to have to think about, of, are you adopting the right standard or the right protocol or are your users in the right place? And so this is why it's just a very difficult thing at scale. And it's not impossible. It works for money. It works for NFTs. It's working for high value things where there's enough incentive to do that coordination. The, the, the question will be, will it work for areas where you don't have that same set of incentives? Why wouldn't it just be like a survival of the fittest where the best Instagram wins out? Because um, it will, well, it would be. The question is, how many years will that take? Because you mm. now have to still restart. You we have to go build all those apps. We have to uh, introduce about three to four billion people uh, to to crypto in the first place. Um, and uh, and in the process, you have you have on and you have unending sort of warring battles of standards um, of technical architecture. So so it, it, it's exactly what would happen. It would be a, a, a sort of a, um, uh, an ultimately you know a Darwinian effect. Um, but, but again, it's just, it's just necessary for people to realize that you're signing up possibly for a, a you know, a couple decade problem because, mm-hmm. because you're, you're going back, you know, literally a decade or two of internet architecture, because we have to build out all of these new models again for this new web. So, and that's why innovation flows. Yeah. And then innovation in the process is going to slow because everybody that decides to do a startup is going to have to decide, do I do it on this new thing that, that really only gets me advantages over the long run. Or do I build it on the regular web where I have access to three and a half billion people, you know, tomorrow or four billion people or whatever? There was a version of this uh, that they tried to do with Twitter, right? It was called Mastodon. And it was like a bunch of different Twitters and you would sign up for an instance and that didn't end up working. Do you do you remember that? And is that sort of emblematic of some of the issues that we might see with stuff that's developed uh, in this well, Web3 form? The, the, you know, the, 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 this is sort of the maybe the thing I, I try and keep talking about, which is it's all about the user. The, the, the user yes. is in control of the internet. Mm. It, the user yes. is always in control of the internet. And, uh, and, and the moment you have a single disadvantage for the user to adopt your technology, uh, you're, you're just putting the odds, you're just stacking up the odds against you. And so, and so you just have to decide, uh, what, what is the value proposition you're trying to build? And are there going to be enough people that care about that value proposition? I actually think there is a value proposition for censorship resistant social networks. But that is the value proposition. And so you just have to understand that those are the kinds of users. That's the scale of the user base that, that you should expect to attract. And 
um, and, and, and sort of just consider the, the sort of pros and cons of, of how big that market's going to be and, and how that will be, you know, be able to sort of make money over time at scale. And I don't I have any problem with, with anybody trying everything. I'm just sharing sort of feedback from history that we've learned by building software at scale over the past you know, 30 years of, of the, the modern you know, kind of technology industry. That's right. And I think that point about usability is so important because ultimately a lot of people have pointed out to the stumbling blocks that you might end up uh, running into if you're trying to build one of these applications, even if in theory it's going to distribute some of the games to the people who use it first. And, you know, that might have a, a network, you know, help you build a network effect and, you know, potentially displace some of the others. I'm just going to read a tweet from Nikita Beer, who's, uh, um, he just left Facebook. I've been trying to get him on the podcast for ages. Nikita, if you're listening, come on. Um, he says, it's hard enough to get a social network off the ground. It's literally a once in a decade black swan event. If you're making it decentralized and requiring your users to set up a wallet to participate, you've reduced your already low probability of success to effectively zero. So is that what we're getting at? That's um, one element, which is which mm-hmm. is you want your market. Anytime you're building software, you want you, you want the largest possible market ever. Mm-hmm. And and so you, you definitely don't want to kind of create an immediate impediment on the market size. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and so that, that sort of becomes, you know, a core part of this challenge, which is, again, I, I think there's fantastic philosophy in, in web three and, you know, things like DAOs, I think are actually incredibly exciting. I, I put money into the constitution DAO. I think, I thought that was a fun mm-hmm. experiment. I, yeah. I, I think Can there's a lot of DAOs. Uh, a DAO is, um, is this, uh, decentralized autonomous organization. Nobody technically sort of, you know, fully controls it. It's governed by votes of, of, of sort of. Uh, of, of token holders and um, and then it has a sort of purpose and you, you sort of um, you know make decisions about how that that organization is going to be run I think it's an incredibly interesting and fascinating architecture for uh, for lots of different kinds of, of rapid response organizations or even long-term structures um, and, I, and you're, you're kind of using software to maintain this organization um, in this really compelling way I think I think that's an incredibly exciting experiment I think most things that I see in web 3 are actually pretty exciting I, th- I think the idea that it is a new internet that everybody is a mm-hmm. part of for, for, for a lot of their software is sort of the, the, the kind of quasi challenge we're going to run into. And so, and so this idea where, where, you know, we, there's a lot of talk about web two versus web one and, um, and reality web two really was a set of building blocks that, that just all developers really decided to leverage like, faster internet applications, browser-based, you know, software. It was a set of standards that made all software better. Web3 is, um, is not something that, that you can just apply to your technology and then your technology gets better. It, it is a different way to architect your application. And so, and so it's, it doesn't sort of follow the same logic, logic pattern of Web1 to Web2. Um, it's really a different kind of internet model altogether. And you just have to know that, that you know, what the limitations are. Um, both and the upside is of, of building for that. And this is why a lot of people say it's a solution in search of a problem because it does have like all these like, you know, great theories and stuff. But when it's coming to attack what Web 2 has already built, uh, we're actually going to we're going to get into some of those problems in, in the second segment here. But, um, you know, it, it doesn't. Well, it's a, maybe it's a poor solution in search of a, of a problem because, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's actually making a lot of impact in terms of actually developing true programs that can that can displace some of the incumbents 
Well, well, what you're you're running into is this this sort of opportunity cost because um, every every moment, every hour of every day that a developer builds software, you mm-hmm. are you have choices of how much technology can I leverage from one market or another market, and 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 if you have any sort of limitation in again user scale or the infrastructure, um, that 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 is a, a sort of a, a, a that that becomes this this point of, of friction. But really, my my main issue is just or my main challenge to to this the, the you know the, the situation is. Is the coordination and consensus complexity? Um, that's that's my my you know you know kind of main challenge that I keep running into is um, is how do you build consensus with enough developers that you're going to be able to create an ecosystem? Uh, and I think it works extremely well when it's a high value transaction. So if it's monetary or an NFT, I think that makes yeah. a ton of sense. I think it's very hard to do when it's small bits of data that that on their own aren't particularly valuable. Why does it work better for uh, money or an NFT? Because if I transfer you $100 and the system takes out 10 cents or a dollar, it, it's sort of like we can kind of bear that, that cost. Mm-hmm. If I, um, if I uh, you know, post a blog post or send you a tweet, I don't probably want to pay a penny for that or, or, a, 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 or, or you know, whatever the, the, the latest number is of, of some network. And so the, the challenge is the value to that data is incredibly low. So, so the sort of the, the demand from developers to sort of figure out the right protocols and all agree on things, because there's not going to be a lot of money flowing through those applications, ends up being pretty limited as well. And so, so it's just very hard to then build the, the level of, of, of standards um, that we have for money in some of these other kinds of use cases where there's just not going to be as much financial impact because of the data itself or the, the sort of need to coordinate on those use cases. So, okay. So if you build something in this like Web3 on the blockchain type of way, if you want to participate in some of these programs, you're going to have to use tokens in order to do so. And that you can be a stumbling pot. Either you're, uh, or your user has to pay or you have to pay. So, I mean, somebody mm-hmm. has to pay to, to transact. And, right. um, and you then have to decide what's the sort of cost um, uh, you know, what, what's the cost and reward, uh, uh, you know, dynamic to that. And, and no matter what you eventually, uh, somebody has got to pay the bill and that bill will be incrementally higher than, than, than building that software another way, because, because it's censorship resistant and has to be spread across more nodes, which is a fantastic architecture for certain use cases where, where you do need this sort of trustless technology. Yeah. And I want to end this segment on one, I think extremely important point that you've brought up, which is the conflict of interest between a user and a shareholder. Because if Web3 is going to make users, you know, of new networks, new applications, um, owners via this tokenization, right? So if you sign up early or if you uh, help build the network or you refer people, you become an owner by getting more of the tokens, uh, which allows you to uh, share in the upside, which we don't really have in Web 2.0. I think about Facebook, Facebook users get nothing. Uh, Facebook gets all the, the bounty in web three. The idea is if you put it on the blockchain, you can create a system where users will actually share in the upside. But I think you point out something really important, which is that if you're a user and if you're a shareholder, you might want two different things. And that makes it really difficult to build where you combined the two. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So, so, um, I'll, I'll, I'll just put this in extremes and then you'll sort of see in the middle, mm-hmm. they're, they're, it gets more and more tense in the middle. As a user of a product, you should just really want the cheapest possible product with the most amount of utility. Like if I could get my entire internet for free, I, I would, I, I would want, I would want to not pay for anything. 
as a user, like eventually you want the cheapest possible solution. As a shareholder, you want as much sort of profit accruing to your shareholdings as, as possible. And so, and so depending on, on where you are in the economy, if you're the user, you want cheap stuff. And if you're a shareholder, you want expensive stuff. Now, when, when you combine those two groups, uh, the user and the shareholder, the question is uh, two, twofold. One, do you, um, do you start to uh, sort of create this very difficult decision tree for your users of what kind of product feedback are they giving you? Um, are they are they giving you that feedback uh, because they want to make more money as a token holder, or are they giving you that feedback because they want more value as a user? I mm-hmm. I my I I find it uh, hard for myself to make those separations, you know, um, uh, you know, and and so so having the entire internet sort of try and contend with that, it just becomes a very difficult problem. Is is um, is uh, like so? Let let's just say there was a choice for our network to lower the price of the service for everybody. But as a result of that, our token value is going to go down. What would we collectively decide to go do? Uh, would we would we lower the price to get more users, or would we would we um, uh, or would we keep the prices stable because it's because we want to keep our wallets protected from a token holding standpoint? And those are the kinds of things that that while they seem extreme, those will subtly sort of um, emerge uh, throughout many of these kinds of networks. That's the first problem. So you've got this problem of of sort of con- con- uh, you know. Various incentive conflicts in the network. The second problem is I actually just think it starts to distort user behavior in a way that 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 is um, hard to predict, but but possibly just not that that um, that helpful. Which is if I want this product to pro- if I want this product's token value to go up, um, do I start to do things that sort of are gamified to that particular sort of scenario? Um, and are those things um, going to be somewhat unnatural? Um, uh, uh, to to really what the utility of that network is, and uh, and then thus uh, do I end up actually making the network maybe less stable or useful? So um, so you you, uh, you know one one example would be you launch a social network that has some kind of incentive scheme, and all of a sudden people are just going back and forth pitching new NFTs to each other, and that's the only thing that that happens on the network because it because people are financially rewarded for that kind of scenario. So now do you have a social network or do you have this sort of NFT you know kind of exchanging network? And so you, you end up you end up sort of distorting what the user experience is um, and what the actual use cases are uh, when you start to combine these incentives is the challenge. Aaron Levy's with us. He's the CEO of Box. We're talking about Web three and well, Web three and the future of the internet. Uh, it's an important discussion. It's great to have you here, Aaron. After the break, I want to talk a little bit about uh, why there's so much animosity towards our current ecosystem. Why people are so determined to change. Web 2.0, whether we can do that within the confines of the current web or whether it's going to take a shift change like Web 3. So why don't we do that right after the break? We'll be back right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast with Aaron Levy. He's the CEO of Box, also an outspoken critic, I would say, of uh, the current movement in Web3 or how would you? I I, I would say I'm adding, I'm just adding. uh, Adding nuance. 
I'm just yeah. adding questions to the conversation. Uh, you know, and, you the, know, I, the, yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I think that, you know, the, yeah. the thing is, is I, I do this about every technology, um, whether it's, right. you know, AI yeah. or VR, it just, this one happens to be more contentious because it's, it's something that is sort of this nebulous, fuzzy kinds of concepts. And so, um, so it's, it, it kind of creates more, more contentiousness, even though I would probably do it no matter what the tech was. Right. There's definitely a, a sense that like, if you, from the crypto diehards, if you start to question web three, then, you know, you get blocked or demonized. I'm sure you've had a lot of that happen. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to learn more about the, the pros and the cons. It just so happens that, um, the people who are pro cough, cough and Dreesen Horowitz won't speak to journalists about it, which I think is a shame. I sent, uh, Chris Dixon an email this morning saying, you know, hey, Chris, we're going to talk about some of the pitfalls of Web3. Maybe you come on and tell us why you believe in it. Uh, so far, cricket. So, um, but I'm just going to keep making these these podcast invites over the air and we'll, we'll see eventually that they'll work. You know, the, the Chris Dixon thing is interesting. So, um, so I, I actually like him a lot. Um, uh, yeah, me too. Per- I mean, personally, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I, you know, we've jammed on philosophy for, for years in, in tech. Um, and, uh, I, I just am concerned that we can't accomplish the goals, uh, that we're, we're, we're sort of setting out with this particular technology. If the whole idea was blank, blank sheet, you know, web three is about openness and interoperability and let's go find all the ways to go do that. I think that would be uh, a, a very compelling movement. Um, I think, I think we've sort of re I think we've wired in a particular solution and path that that is going to be harder to achieve those things. Right. And so Chris Dixon, for context, I'm sure a lot of people on the on the uh, line know who he is, but he's a general partner at Andreessen Horowitz, uh, who is very big into the crypto movement, maybe the pope of the, the crypto movement. Um, so let's just read a tweet that he actually sent to you uh, at trying to explain why the current system isn't good enough and why we need a new system. He says, so what's your analysis for why we ended up after 20 years of experiments? We ended up with four to five companies controlling most of the internet, closed ecosystems, very little API access, 50 to 100% take rates, opaque governance, etc. How do we avoid the same outcome again? So what's your response there? Well, my, my literal response at the time was, I just don't agree with the premise. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I think it's, a, I think it's a, unfortunately a, uh, an, a, a faulty premise. I think we have, you know, I mean, you, you are the, the closest to this. We've got four or five massive platforms that make, mm. you, know, you know, collectively a trillion or $2 trillion of revenue. It's insane. Um, but, but consumers have chosen those companies because they have innovated on, on products that we like. And at the same time, there's literally millions of other applications on the web that are that many of which are thriving uh, that are even attacking those incumbents. So Snapchat is a you know eighty billion dollar social network. Pinterest is a fifty billion dollar social network. Um, TikTok is a multi hundred billion dollar social network. All of which attack Facebook in some way. Shopify is a multi hundred billion dollar company going after Amazon. Um, you have insane options for infrastructure and payments and messaging and APIs all throughout the web. Um, and so I just don't agree with the premise. I think the Internet is actually um, in, in the ripest position right now for continued innovation going forward. And I, I, I would say, like, don't veer off the course. Like, let's mm-hmm. just keep doubling down on this and, and let's push for more openness and interoperability. Um, I don't think we have to have a, a sort of a predetermined solution for how we're going to go and deliver that. 
Yeah. And I've listened to Chris uh, and read some of his work on this uh, topic and in lieu of having him on the show, I, I think that his argument would be that like, yes, we have plenty of, of companies. However, uh, it's very clear that the people that are doing the most work on the internet, content creators, the people who are, you know, adding value to networks like Twitter and Facebook, and even the other, the smaller ones that you mentioned are, are not. And, and of course the musicians that have uh, music on Spotify and the artists that are posting on on Instagram are not sharing at all in the value creation of web 2.0. And that's being concentrated in the hands of, uh, of, of these big yeah. companies. And so web three can solve that. Yeah. And, and I think the, the thing I would just throw out there is, yeah, you, you have to think about what happens when the hundred millionth user joins, mm. when the hundred millionth user joins a social network or Instagram or communication channel, what is the economic model that is going to ensure that that user benefits uh, in this sort of shared internet kind of way. And so just giving early users uh, tokens to these services, the future users in 10 years from now are not going to benefit from that. So you have to have a sustainable economic model that is going to be able to propel these services over the long run. And so, and so if that is not through, if that's through payments, then we can already do that using using online payments, including paying with Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies for for internet applications. And if through, and if that's through ads, then we already have ads. So so what is the what is the thing that is completely different about this architecture that gets us to this sort of creator paid web that that is not only working because it happens to be the early adopters that are are basically getting paid uh, instead of the, the the users in ten years from now. That's that's sort of the, the thing I, I, I kind of am trying to bring out into this thing is like, yes, it is true that if you restarted the Internet from scratch right now and we give shares to all the early adopters, those people will make more money um, like that. That's that's empirical. Uh, the question is, is you'll still be in 10 years from now dealing with a new set of people that are coming in and they're going to want to make sure that they have a fair opportunity to use these applications. And and so you don't want to have an, an incentive structure that only benefits the early adopters. You want to separate the incentives between between the the, the 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 sort of buyers and sellers of the market, and in a case of Instagram, there's content creators, and we should create more mechanisms to to help those content creators monetize. Um, and in the case of um, of a of of Twitter, you know, people have multiple ways to monetize by by creating you know uh, various subscription services or products they want to sell. Like I, I just I disagree with the premise, which is that it's a broken model. I guess. Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, I don't think we're anywhere near where we need to be at this moment, but a lot of these companies who are, you know, squarely web 2.0 are starting to create ways for the people who are creating yes, economic and that's, value. That's the, that's the thing is I would spend my time making that problem get solved. Yeah. So, like so, it's funny, um, the Andreessen people always point to Substack and I mean, yeah. I'm on Substack. So, you know, I'm pretty familiar with it. It's web 2.0. Uh, users pay the creators. It doesn't need crypto to, to function. Correct. Correct. That that's sort of the point. Is um is like anything you can do today that doesn't require decentralization, you're going to be able to go do with with today's APIs. So 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 uh, the the so if there's a, an immediate problem that we have in monetizing things, we've got sufficient infrastructure and technology to go solve those problems. So so going in and sort of limiting the total addressable universe to a smaller set of people and incentivizing just the next set of early adopters of those services mm-hmm. might not be the best path to getting to this long-term problem. That, that's the only thing I'm kind of throwing out there. Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on on that. 
Okay, uh, we're here with Aaron Levy. He's the CEO of Box. We're talking about Web3 crypto and the future of the web. We've talked about how this thing works, some of the pitfalls. We've talked about the challenge uh, that it will present to, or uh, actually what, what people are trying, the problem people are trying to solve with Web 2.0. Um, I think that it's not talked about enough, you know, who benefits and, and um, who stands to lose uh, based off of this debate. Some people are going to get really rich. Some people you know, are going to lose a lot of money. And so what would a shift like this actually do from a financial standpoint? Let's talk about that when we get back uh, here after the break on Big Technology Podcast. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back for one final brief segment with Aaron Levy, CEO of Box. We're talking about Web3 and crypto, a topic that, you know, I, I think uh, is getting a lot of attention, rightfully so. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen a shift like this uh, or potential shift like this with the web. And, um, and it's certainly good fodder for podcasts and <laughs> any sort of discussion when it comes we're, to... We're making you very happy, at least. Yeah, <laughs> the content creators are happy, but it's tough. It is tough to get our heads around because there's so many interests, so complex um, but but I'm I'm glad we're having this discussion. This is actually I mean, the I think, first. I think that's I think that's yeah. sort of the problem, right? It's it's right. a very very abstract yeah. concept, and in, right. and in Web two, it was I you know even even back you know 15 years ago, I probably said the word Web two like five times in my life, and yeah. uh, Web two and right. and it was just it was just better ways to build software. It was that was, it was that simple. It was better ways to build software. They could be more interactive, more real time, more collaborative. You could have tagging and new social experiences. That was the whole point. And, yeah. um, and, and in this version, you have to understand, you have to understand organization models, new forms of economics. Um, you have to understand uh, finance and markets because crypto prices can change on you. You have to, you have to mm -hmm. figure out consensus building and game theory. It's just a lot to, to sort of, you know, kind of try and take on. Uh, and, and so it's, it, you're going to have a lot of confusion because of how nebulous that is. Yeah. And this is the first full podcast that we've run dedicated to it uh, okay. for two reasons. One, I wanted to be well-read and, and come in with the ability to discuss it. Um, and listeners, you tell me how I did. And two, uh, we haven't seen any actual applications built on this stuff. Like there's a lot of like talk about how you could build a better social network. But honestly, it seems like the, the thing that's been built the most has been the NFT marketplace, which... Uh, yeah, you posted the South, South Park clip about it, um, which is kind of uh, hilarious. But it seems like pop culture is starting to turn on NFTs. But sorry, and, go ahead. Well, no, but it's it's a it's a it's a fair point, which is which is, and I actually agree with with Chris Dixon on this point, which is um, mm -hmm. we probably should not expect to get Web two like use cases in Web three because 
they will be disadvantaged in some way. So we should we'll, we'll see Web three native use cases and you know metaverses and games and these kind of things, which I think is is super fascinating. But but again, that might not sort of mean that everybody should go and run off and think that they're going to go decentralize every single piece of software on the web. We we have to sort of get more applied with the kinds of use cases where this makes sense. Or oh, we don't have to. I mean, people can do whatever they want. I'm just sort of sharing feedback, having seen mm-hmm. how the internet works for you know. Uh, you know, a couple decades and what people tend to adopt. That's all. What use cases do make sense? I mean, we talk about finance. What do you think about uh, is the NFTs uh, something that you think makes sense? I mean, the post, I'm just going to share, uh, hopefully, Nate, you can you can play this clip for the audience, but there's this great little clip from the South Park post-coronavirus special where IHOP starts selling NFTs and they say something like, you, you bring them in with <laughs> tasty, delicious pancakes and you've them with NFTs. Basically, it seems like it's, and he's like, if you believe in NFTs and they believe in NFTs and NFTs are real and we're going to be rich. Denny's Applebee's Max is the premier place in town for people to eat. With NFTs, you can give your customers unique digital goods on the blockchain. Lots of people eat Denny's and Applebee's and lots of people know about NFTs. You know what this is? People who eat Denny's Applebee's and know about NFTs, that's your target audience, baby! And if you just believe in NFTs, then I believe in NFTs, and then they believe in NFTs, and we make all kinds of fucking money! That's a pretty goddamn good idea. Um, and so it does seem like that that's, I don't know, it's a Ponzi-like type of thing. Um, so where do you see the potential here outside of finance and, you know, curious about the NFT thing? Um, I, I think, um, I, you know, uh, I, I don't understand it personally, uh, yeah. but that's because I don't, I don't really collect much. Um, uh-huh. so I would say that, um, I, I would say that, uh, you know, you just have to know that you're, you're buying a thing that either you have to hold on to, or somebody else has to buy from you. And you just have to be aware that, 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 you know, that there are certain kind of tendencies of these things, um, of hype and fads that can move. And, um, but I don't have any, uh, sort of particular, you know, disclaimer of people doing that or not. You just, people should just understand that's how it works. It's not, you're not buying an, you know, uh, you're not buying a, a share of a company that, that is going to produce cash flow. You're buying a thing that you, uh, either find valuable yourself or you think somebody else will find valuable. It's that simple. And, um, and I think that the, uh, I, I don't understand it, but I also don't um, have any problem with it because people can go and do whatever they want. I think there's a couple issues, which is, you know, how do you know about the verifiability of the asset? Um, you know, are, are you getting something that, that might not be real? Like there are some interesting technical, um, you know, copyright types of challenges there. Um, I, I think the, the fascinating one I've, I've sort of seen is in the gaming community of, you know, people sort of, um, uh, you know, p- people having some concerns about, well, what is this going to do to games from an incentive standpoint to play? And are you playing to, to, to earn money now versus just have fun? I'm not a gamer, so I don't have any, you know, kind of opinion or take on that. But I would say it's an interesting sort of experiment to, to be watching from afar. Um, and uh, as long as people are sort of financially literate about the implications, I, you know, people can do whatever they want with their money in theory. Yeah. And the argument for NFTs is that it's not just a JPEG, but maybe it's an entry into a Discord or some sort of membership card. Uh, we'll, we'll see if that lasts. It'll be, it'll be challenging. Uh, so we talked about finance. We talked about NFTs. Are there any other forms of, you know, promising areas in the crypto world or are you sort of thinking that this might be the ceiling? 
Uh, no, I'm, I'm not predicting any ceiling. I think the, I mean, these things can run on far, 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 far longer than anybody can imagine. I think the, yeah. I, I think that um, I find DeFi extremely fascinating. Um, I think there's absolutely interesting use cases of, of, um, of this idea of sort of a, a protocol for money um, where maybe we can have sort of micro transactions on infrastructure and certain use cases and certainly international, you know, wire transfers and instant funding of projects, all of that kind of stuff, I think actually makes sense. I, you know, regulation aside, it's got, we got to figure that part out. Um, it's, it's just the rebuilding of software is, is the part mm-hmm. that I contend with, but the idea of, of sort of money, programmable money, I think is, uh, is a super, you know, fascinating concept. Do you own, do you own Bitcoin? Um, I have a, a, a small fraction just to, just to be able to watch the, uh, the price. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So before we go, I want to talk a little bit about who wins and loses uh, from this. If we do end up with this, uh, you know, Web3 movement, um, who stands to gain and lose? I know that uh, Chris, well, to go back to Chris Dixon, he posted this tweet of like um, your top investors and Facebook's top investors and trying to make it seem like, you know, big finance is, you know, controlling the web. Um so I guess like, I'd be curious to hint, I think you responded like, yeah, so you're talking about like pension funds and retirement saving and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so if we do make this flip, who stands to, to win, if we stay the way we are, who stands to gain the most? I, you know, I, I don't understand this line of the argument, honestly. Um, uh, I think that the, um, you know, I, I just, I little, I don't actually like, I can't, I don't even process the mm-hmm. concept. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, if we want to create more democratized ways of doing crowdfunding of investing, and I think there's plenty of ways to do that. I mean, if A16Z cares to open up their fund uh, to more people through a DAO, they should totally do that. I mean, I don't. I mean, great. Um, uh, I, I, it, this doesn't. This doesn't sort of. Um, uh, this doesn't strike me as an interesting Web three argument because there's a lot of solutions to, to to doing this, including using a blockchain. It just doesn't require you to build software. That in a completely different way. Uh, what about the other way? Uh, so, so there's this great fight between uh, Jack Dorsey and Andreessen Horowitz. Yeah. Uh, Jack is basically saying that Andreessen Horowitz, who is like I say, the most outspoken pro crypto venture capitalist firm, full stop. He he's saying that they're he's implying that they're pushing this whole Web three narrative, um, you know, about decentralization and democratization. Uh, in order for them to make the most money off of it. So he has this tweet, you don't own Web3 talking to just regular people. Uh, The VCs and their limited partners do. It will never escape their incentives. It's ultimately a centralized entity with a different label. I think that, um, I think there's an important role for VCs in the economy. They fund companies that, that are innovators um, uh, uh, and then the market gets to decide what products they use. I think there's an, I think there's an interesting role of making it easier for people to invest in, in, in companies earlier. I think there's lots of in, interesting innovation like Republic, um, is a, is a, is a pretty interesting model for, for being able to democratize, um, investment, um, uh, in properties. And, um, and I think the, um, uh, so I don't get as bothered by that dynamic. I think, I think it's probably more that maybe the, potential hypocritical nature of the message from the Andreessen side that is more of the problem, which is, is sort of, um, they are going to be owners of these things. So sort of, you know, acting like, like web two somehow has more concentrated powers, but they're going to still invest in these things. 
I, that it just feels disingenuous, I guess, and, and a pretty you know complicated message. But I don't I don't get as passionate about this particular angle. Yeah, why do you think Jack is going full steam ahead on this? Well, he's probably even more passionate about the open source and protocol nature of all this stuff than I am. I'm actually much more um, enamored with the or or in, in, interested in the like the product challenges of building software in this model. Yeah. Um, I think he's a a, a diehard open source protocol fanatic, which is awesome. Uh, and we all benefit from, from people like that. Uh, and obviously Bitcoin is, is, uh, is certainly core to his thing. Um, but, um, but that, that's a little bit more um, adjacent to my, my interest in this area. I, I'm just like, how do you build the best product for people and what's mm-hmm. the best technology that can do that? And I've seen in yeah. history, the moment you choose a worse technology, a slower technology, a more costly technology, you just get into trouble. That's all. Aaron, I want to end with this. Um, I'm going to get some people who are going to yell at me about it, but, um, you know, I feel like don't hate the question. Um, the question is, uh, so if you think about the base la- layer of human productivity, right? Like we initially, like our economies, everything like that started to, you know, give, you know, provide food and shelter for, you know, our families. And then we moved into, you know, societies, all that stuff. What does it say about where we are right now? This is a little philosophical. What does it say right now, where we are right now as a species that we have like some of the smartest people who are like spending time, you know, working on a system, you know, that is essentially owning, you know, in in some ways, you know, pointing to images on the internet for ownership, uh, you know, uh, digital money um, and, and, and all these like sort of long shots software developments. Have we reached a point where we don't have anything more interesting to work on? Well, I, you know, I think the, this is sort of the, this is the, um, you know, the, the, the challenge. I actually think things like, you know, Ethereum and even Bitcoin are incredibly fascinating um, concepts. And so from a computer science standpoint, I think are, are super exciting. Um, and so that, that actually, I think is progress in innovation on decentralized, uh, you know, sort of asset value stores um, that are censorship resistant. So, so I think that makes sense. Um, what I would suggest is, you know, if we go and try, try and rebuild today's internet on that, we would be, you know, spending, we'd be exhausting a lot of energy, um, uh, for, or spending a lot of energy on, on that project. And that, that could otherwise go into some, you know, wide open internet spaces that don't have innovation yet. Um, and I would kind of point and channel, you know, more of the, the global computer science talent, uh, toward more of those types of things. But, I, you know, the market will ultimately determine that. I, I, I have full, Full confidence that uh, that will resolve that you know that 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 particular tension. So we're still focusing our our energy on good stuff. As a oh, lar- I, I, I think lar- largely <laughs> uh, the the uh, we are channeling energy in the right things. I think this yeah. is this is probably still a relatively niche topic within even Silicon Valley. Um, it's mm-hmm. just you know people like you and I that follow the same <laughs> things on Twitter. We get all wrapped up in it, and uh, and it, it ends up kind of feeling bigger than probably it actually is. Okay, great perspective. And Aaron Levy, always great to speak with you. All right. Good to see you, Alex. You too. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Nick Gowatney, for editing. Uh, thank you, Red Circle, for hosting and selling the ads. Thank you again to MediaOcean, our sponsor. Please catch me tomorrow at MediaOcean's CES Summit. You can go to MediaOcean.com uh, to find that out. And we'll be back next week with an interview with Senator Mark Warner. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be fun. We're going to talk about 
the U.S. government's approach to big tech. Thanks again to Aaron and, and all you for listening. Uh, here we are. We're in 2022, third year of the podcast. We're still alive. We appreciate you being here with us on to, uh, to 2022 and everything that awaits us there. Happy New Year. We'll see you next week. Thank you.